0: Welcome to Protect Your Practice, brought to you by BrightSquid. Let's dig deep into real-world data breaches of patient information. We'll provide practical, expert advice to help you mitigate risk, understand compliance with privacy laws, and safeguard your clinic against all of the privacy and security threats facing healthcare today.
1: Welcome to Protect Your Practice. This is episode three of the podcast that gives you the tools and information you need to help keep your business safe in this new era of mandatory breach reporting. My name is Jeff McKay. I'm your host for the podcast. This week, we're going to talk about information storage. How do you keep the information that you have safe? What's your obligations? How should you be storing that information? Where should it be traveling outside the clinic? All that sort of thing. We're also going to look at the the very public-facing nature of privacy breaches now that mandatory breach reporting has come in um, and um, the fact that privacy commissioners are posting their, their breach investigation outcomes on their website. So when people Google your clinic name, that information is gonna pop up there. Joining me this week, we have Rohit Joshi, Bread Squid CEO, a lawyer with a tremendous background in, in compliance. We also have Valerie Fleisch, who is the privacy lead at Squid, working with clinics to establish compliant practices, as well as maintain that on an ongoing basis. And Jen Kreiner, who writes privacy impact assessments for clinics, working closely with them to make sure that they have the right policies and procedures in place, as well as helping to conduct breach investigations as necessary when clinics call us for help with that. So excited to jump into the conversation and glad you're here with us.
2: The first two that I want to talk about have to do with with stolen information. So uh, we've got one where a third party was performing life insurance. Uh, tests and exams for, for employees, and then that person's car was broken into, and then someone stole all the information that they had as well as some physical specimens, which is, which is strange and who wants that. But you know it raises the question about what level of rigor do clinics need to have around the information that's being transported outside of their clinic and in what situations would that even happen?
0: I think in this specific situation, um, it it is very good to make sure that you have some sort of a, um, a way to protect the patient information, like have back at the clinic, have their name linked to a file number, but only have the file number on the vials. So that information is useless to anyone who could potentially steal it. And that's a similar thing if you want to do a patient paper chart, have it as a, you know. A number system or something like that so it is not have the patient information listed on the file Yeah, day sheets is another one like really anything
3: wherever you can keep it as confidential as you can by limiting what's on there because there is a difference between identifying patient information and non-identifying patient information so if you are transporting specimens or models or any sort of You know anything that comes from a patient, you could just have an ID number, and then it's not identifying patient information, which you know is an additional step you can take to protect it. But I mean, in this case, you know there was outside party involved, the vendor, so right, you know, like so, where does the The responsibility liability line? Well, in this, uh, I'm
4: hopeful that there was a information managers agreement engaged in this one because you know clearly. Um, uh, this was being collected by a subcontractor, and you'd want to make sure that the liability laid with the with the subcontractor. You know, the the challenge around these specifically is that you know, as you're as you're trying to attach patient names to numbers, there is an administrative burden to that, right? And so you really you have to look at what's the alternative, and and how do we lower the the burden of that sort of practice. Notwithstanding the fact that you need to get this information because it always will be likely, you know, collected in the field. So you're not going to be in your office. Well, the last thing you want to do is have someone's name on a specimen or worse, have their basic information sitting on a piece of paper beside the specimen. Because now whoever's captured that information um, is going to be able to use it for, for different purposes now. What is the risk of someone using blood and urine samples? Pretty minimal, I would say. But it doesn't matter. Again, as we've established, once patient-identifiable information has been released, it is a reportable issue.
3: And it could be, depending on where it goes to, right? Yeah, you're like, right. It could be, again, back to what we talked earlier, it could be blood samples for STD testing. You're exactly right. Or, you know, something that could cause embarrassment or harm. So Absolutely. So it's really, and it's hard to know, right? Yeah, it is. It, there's so many things that get sent out, and you won't be able to, you know, it's not like you're going to distinguish yeah. those to really, like, a non-embarrassing have yeah. <laughs> resource versus not, so one way of doing it all. Agreed. And protect it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So then like, is this, this is obviously preventable are, are there policies and procedures that would be in place? Let's say that in, in this case, it was an employee of the clinic that was transporting the information. Are there policies and procedures that need to be in place to help that employee avoid having their car vandalized or having that information accessed through that?
0: I think making sure, I mean, even just standard common sense, make sure that the items aren't visible. Um, and just ensuring that you're, make, like, locking your door, if you can park, you know, in a public place or that sort of thing, the, just preventative measures like that. But I don't... I just don't even leave it anywhere, right? Yeah. There's just been so many cases, not just with clinics, but, like, you know,
3: police <laughs> leaving cars and having guns stolen. Let's go from point, when it's something in there that's sensitive or important, go from point A to B, <laughs> don't yeah. stop. I think and, <laughs> and that's where
4: my head goes. It's, you know, wh- wh- what is the... Clearly, there's going to be some sort of a policy here. It's it's an employee Use the
2: drive-through.
0: Yeah,
4: it's, yeah. <laughs> there's an employee yeah. who's transferring information yeah. for business purposes. You have to have a policy around that because yeah. if you don't, it comes back to the clinic. Yeah, It says, well, well, what's the obligation? Well, the obligation is that the employee follows the rules. But if there are no rules, how can the employee be held re- liable for that? Right. And so I think it comes back to what is the policy for clinic. And, and the advantage of doing them in some sort of a structured way is that these things are taken care of. Someone has thought about this if it's not the clinic
2: owner, for example. right? <laughs> Which is where we end up doing a lot of that. Yeah, that we clinics, weeks, right? yeah well, yeah. And,
4: and I mean, that's all we think about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop my blood sample from being stolen. Yeah. In the car. So
2: so like the, the <laughs> next example then is it, it ties in. But it's not about point A to point B, it's about information um, that was stored in a a tote bag containing patient documents that somebody left in their garage for months and then one day left their garage door open and it went missing. So uh,
4: I've got a variation on this one, Jeff. And this was another breach that I saw in the US, which was um, a retiring uh, doctor was um, going to sell his home. And in the sale of the home, they found crates and crates of old patient files that clearly the doctor had run out of a room in his office for. So he just brought them home, and they were in the garage. And in the sale of the home, they actually found all of these documents.
2: He left them there. He left them them there, yeah. yeah. Because
4: they were junk. (laughs) To him, they were junk,
2: right? (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then what's, like... Uh, how what are the rules like there are rules around like how patients patient storage stored yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How, what are
0: they well it has to be secure first of all um not just in your coping no. Coping. no and, and that's <laughs> the thing is that like I've I've had clinics before mm-hmm. that do store patient information in their garage and to me I look at it as a not secure way of storing information um lock and key video surveillance those are secure ways of storing you know information or scan it into your um your electronic medical system, and destroy it. I mean, that's really the... Destroy the paper copy. Mm -hmm. Paper copy. (laughs) Keep the scan. Yeah, Yeah, totally. But, you know, it's just, to me, it's not... If I... I, My garage door's been left open when I come home. How do you ensure that that doesn't happen? It's a mistake. It's an accident. And you don't need to, I think.
3: One thing that I hear a lot from clinics is... Or, you know, people in general, they like, I don't know if it's a hoarding thing, but people don't, they feel like it's a charge, we can't ever get rid of it, which is untrue. Yeah, so what are the rules around that then? So there is retention guidelines. So each professional association, be it the, you know, dental college or the College of Physicians and Surgeons of or whatever will apply to you, each college and association has specific guidelines. So, you just need to familiarize yourself with those. You don't need to keep, and we see this a lot where people, you know, we have a little questionnaire <laughs> to see what people are doing, and they'll say, store it indefinitely. And that's, you know, and it's probably done with a good intent because they feel like, oh, it's like patent shares you know, what if I destroy them and I can't recoup, like, you know. So, I think people are like worried about that, but yeah. you don't have to store them indefinitely. But it's
2: liability, right, really? Like, you're keeping documents beyond your yeah, own. Yeah,
4: it, it increases your liability with every record, yeah. right? I mean, if those if that information is electronic and you haven't been dealing with this patient for over 10 years, and I come across this in clinics, we had, just as an example, we had one dentist that we worked with had 43,000 patients in their database because he had bought four practices. A sole practitioner, 43,000. And my jaw dropped because... This is a huge liability issue. Multiply 45,000 times a breach, and mm-hmm. the, the expected cost of a breach per record is $400. Well, do that multiplication. That's, that's, the, like, that, that's what it takes to recover from a breach per record. Times 40, 40. Yeah, 40. He, was, he was going to be bankrupt. And so my advice to him was get rid of that old stuff. Mm-hmm. They're not patients that are going to come back to you after 10 years. Do Anyways. that securely, too, though. So but yeah, 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 all, you can, yeah, like, yeah. That's right. <laughs> don't print them out and throw don't them make, in the garbage don't bin. Just, yeah. yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because, yeah, we've so had, case like this, we have so had, had like,
3: cases like that. We have had cases like that. Like, recycling bin, like, that's yeah. not even, like, destruction. And you can destroy but that has to be done securely or using a vendor or, you know, doing it by staff, yeah. following a certain procedure. right, the, the shredding yeah, company. The, the shredding, yeah.
4: yeah. I should mention that there are safe storage companies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you don't, if you do feel a need to store these things, you've run out of space in your office. There are secure storage locations that you can have that will sign these agreements for information management. Great.
2: That's great. So, like, we've got disposal, destruction, storage, <laughs> information, uh, <laughs> do it properly. Um, and we advise on that, right? That's a policies and procedures thing. When you get, like, this is how we will store the information. Here's how we will dispose of it and yep. what we're done. Um how
0: long all that stuff. keep it for, yeah. all
2: of that, it's in there, yeah. Um, so then we'll go back to uh, the kind of step that we look at. We talk about collection use disclosure, disposal of information, but uh, disclosure is something we haven't really touched on a ton. So there's just this this case that goes, so the, the next breach is all about an organization that kind of in the course of operating one of the staff members, disclosed some information about one of their clients to a third party just in a general phone conversation, almost like not gossip, but just kind of let it slip. Oh, we know this about this person. And they told us we shouldn't have that information. So that's a breach, but what kind of right do people have to different people's health information? What are our clinics able to disclose? What level of consent do I need as a clinic uh, to give out information?
4: I think, uh, Jeff, the thing that we talk a lot about, and I'll let, I'll let, um, Val and Jen talk about this because they're much more up to date. We often, often, often get questions around consent and who can we discuss this information with? And it might be because there's a husband and wife that are going through divorce and there's a child involved. And, and there are, there are lots and lots of scenarios that frankly, we, we, we sometimes are scratching our heads because they're just brand-new things we need to think about. So um, I, think, I think this disclosure and consent and who can we talk to and who can we not is a significant issue that gets much uh, very little airplay, you know. because I think some of it's just a judgment call by our uh, – and, and, and I'll turn it over to Val and Jen. I don't know which of you wants to start, but, oh, boy, it's <laughs> – it's, uh, <laughs> I would say this, at least when we're training people, most of the questions we get are on consent. And it's usually about father, mother, child. And who has the right to see what? Step-parent, we get a lot of the questions. Step-parents, about. you're right. Are they authorized? Are they not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And communities, yeah, really that's church. true.
0: Churches. Yeah. And, and even yeah. within practitioners, like having dental clinics, referring to other dental clinics, there's a lot of mm-hmm. questions. That's hard. true. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah around cool. what they can share. And yeah. Like, I think the
3: main point is, first of all, disclosure can be to so many people. So, you know, you have to, first of all, understand who is it to? Is it disclosure, you know, to third parties, vendors? Is it other specialists? And for all of these, you know, and I don't know who we'll to cover all the time in this I podcast. Think probably worth, it's probably worth its own yeah, podcast. I feel yeah. Like yeah. Because there's so, because it differs. Like, if, I disclose to a specialist I referred to that falls under continuity of care and that's okay. For most cases you will need consent, but then family members is a whole different story. So I mean basically every person has a right to access their own records. But that's about it. Unless that person gives consent to have that information disclosed to other people, usually don't. <laughs> With some exceptions, and maybe, you know, Jen, maybe you want to list some of the exceptions.
0: Yeah, so there's a couple of cases where, you know, maybe in certain cultures, the you know, if the parents are in Canada, for example, Mm -hmm. and they don't speak very good English, um, having a a daughter or someone who can translate for them is one situation that we get a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, uh, of course, there's the... 16 year olds, you know, do, do you need to include their parents because their parents are paying for it um, and that sort of thing? So, and you have to, you know, determine if they're a mature minor and if they can make decisions on their own or if you need to loop in the parents. So, uh, there's a lot of different scenarios. Well, I think
4: part of it is there's rules around that and then there's a lot of judgment, mm-hmm. you know, and so the rules are around, you know, patient owns their own information and mm-hmm the people who they consent to can hear about that information. So if we look at it that way, obviously custody with a 10-year-old, for example, is a difficult discussion. I know of one case in Alberta where where there was actually, there, their there, husband and wife were going through a massive dispute in a divorce. Um, daughter was feeling the stress and went to um, the children's hospital for care um, because it was that much. Um, the father, the estranged husband contacted the hospital for what was the details of that procedure. Mm -hmm. And then that showed up in, as part of the claim that the the mother was an unfit mother. Right. And so there's lots of that stuff that unfortunately, a lot of our practitioners are going to have to deal with. And I, I think we've said it every single round. Training is important. And the ability to contact us just as a, a separate judgment point is super important because how how do you gain that type of experience unless you really can can, can tell
2: right? And I think the, the the point that I keep hearing when we do our training sessions, we've got 150 people in a room, uh, and yeah. there's always hands that go up, but it's 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 don't give out information as a knee jerk, right? I think no. that's it's like think about this. Call us, yeah, right or um, you know, follow the policies and procedures rather than just giving out information. Law enforcement is an issue, right? You need yeah. to have. You can give it out.
3: There's a subpoena. Yeah, um, even need documents, like not yeah. just right like children's services this is a big one too. Yeah. And I've heard about situations there and children's services may just call you and say, I'm from children's services, you must give me this. But even then, doesn't necessarily mean you need to unless you have the right legal documents in yeah. place. So all, I would say as a default, don't give it up unless you're like 100% yeah. sure. Or even appointment, you know, talking back about your example. Even appointment even little things like appointment information or I heard about a case where that was given out and it was also the couple was about, you know, wanted to separate or one of the two wanted to separate and the clinic said, Well, your wife has an appointment at that time and that was used to serve papers because they gave out the information.
4: Oh my goodness. (laughs) To track
3: down it they knew that person's gonna be at the clinic. So even little things like, yeah. you know, you have an appointment at uh, your dentist or your clinic can be misused for these yeah. types of things. So just don't give anything out as default. <laughs> you say. know, it's so hard
4: because I think in the service industries, you know, the, uh, the clinicians that we deal with and their staff want to be helpful, Yeah. right? They, yeah. They've been hired in those positions and everybody's chosen those professions because they want to be helpful, public facing and so on. So it almost goes against our intuition. Which is, I just want to help out. Yeah. Here, you know, next Thursday at two p.m. is when yeah. they're here.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your obligation is to that patient, and exactly. The, exactly. Uh, keep them, you know, yeah. Great. I mean, the, the, and I think this is a really was, important discussion. Yeah. The consent discussion, like you said, comes up a lot for us. And uh, you know, I, I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it with this case. And um, again, all these cases come from the OIPC for the most part in, in Alberta and in Canada. Uh, so feel free to go, dig those up, look at the cases, see what's happening. Breaches are happening all the time. There was 340-something breaches reported in Alberta in the last four months of 2018. Um, so it's happening every day, and, uh, and and clinics really need to be aware of this stuff. So I think this is important for everybody listening. And so thanks for tuning in. Any final comments on consent or storage? <laughs> <laughs> we want Lots more to talk about. Lots more to talk about next time. <laughs> keep keep tuning in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tune in next week for conversation about privacy
0: compliance so thanks for listening thanks for listening to protect your practice brought to you by bright squid for a regular dose of privacy insights and tips subscribe on itunes spotify google play or wherever you listen to podcasts we'd be honored if you left us a five-star review and shared this episode with your colleagues find out how you can get expert privacy compliance support at brightsquid.com and click Privacy Compliance.